I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Daniel chapter 9. We're going to read there in just a moment. Uh, Daniel speaks to a question that I think is out there today. It's a question that uh, we're, being, we're asking of ourselves to do uh, or today in the midst of a very, a very strange time. And it's a strange time. Um, each morning I get up and I check some local news online just to see is, are, what is happening in some of the cities around us. Are, are, are protests still going on? Is there still being damage? Is there rioting? Or what's happening? Did anybody else get shot? Has any change? It, don't. I was listening to, uh, just because I had the radio on, there was an investment guy talking on the radio, and they were talking about one of the, one of the probably worst investments that you could make in 2020 was to buy a 2020 daily planner. Because everything has been changed, everything has been turned upside down. They were talking about how you can't really, nothing is normal. I mean, take for example Hertz rental car. Hertz is huge, right? Hertz is bankrupt. Hertz is stock, big yellow Hertz, right? You've, you've probably been in one of their cars at one time or another. Their, their stock went down to 40 cents a share. But you know what? It's gone up since then. Pe- people are buying it. In fact, Hertz just came out and said, you know, we're, our plan now to, to ride through bankruptcy and emerge a, you know, on the other side, our plan is we're going we're gonna to make $500 million off of selling, offering out more of the company-held stock because people are buying it. They're telling people, you know, you probably shouldn't buy it because in the course of bankruptcy, it's probably going to be worthless. But people are buying it. There's no explanation for that. It doesn't make any sense. To buy, normally you'll, if you're going to buy stock, you look for a stock in a company that's going up, right? A company that's strengthening, a company that uh, in the midst of times like this, they have some sort of a foothold that makes their circumstance advantageous, not precarious. It's a strange time. And you've probably been watching the things that are going on, things related to the pandemic, and, and I don't even recognize some of you because you have your mask on, and I don't know who you are. You didn't expect that to be the, the norm in church. And uh, you're watching what's happening on streets, in cities, in our area, and around the country, even now going across into Europe, and, and you're wondering, what, what can I do in a time like this? In a time of, of, of drastic unheaval, when, when things that I thought were, were, were certain and secure and, and I could be counted on, all of a sudden can't. What can I do? What can I do in a time like this? Physical threats of a pandemic, social unrest and chaos, evident injustice that we cannot seem to resolve the toppling of social mores and norms and heritage and statues, the political and media divisiveness that knows no end. I invite you to turn to the book of Daniel because Daniel lived in times like that. Maybe you're older. Maybe you can identify with a Daniel in his 80s who 
whose world has suddenly turned upside down. Now, Daniel was a faithful um, official within the Babylon government, a close advisor to the king for, for most of his life, most of his career. And now, that has all been turned upside down. Uh, Babylon is out, Babylon is ended, and there's a new power called Persia in the world. And all that Daniel has known all his life most of his life, is now changed. Maybe you're not old. Maybe you're not in your 80s like Daniel. Maybe you're young and idealistic. And you, now, you know how things ought to be. You see how they are, and you know that's not how it ought to be. You can see the way things ought to be, and hopefully... In your idealistic youth, your frame of reference for how things ought to be comes from God's word. This is what God has said. Why can't it be like that? We are made in his image. And yet, you're frustrated in not seeing that around you. In fact, you find yourself also caught up in the consequences of the people around you's failure to be as they ought to be so that things would be as they ought to be. And you're caught up in that. Your collateral damage, your, your um, future prospects are, in a sense, seemingly ruined or certainly affected in turmoil because people have not been the way they should have been. You can identify with Daniel. When Daniel was maybe 16, maybe 18, we don't know exactly. In Daniel chapter 1, Daniel's a young man when the upheaval comes first to Israel. And Babylon is among the first of a series of three cases of exile carried away into the empire of Babylon. Happens to Daniel at a young age, 16, maybe 18. He gets a full-ride scholarship in the University of Babylon. His world is turned upside down at that point as well, and not because of him, but because of others. Whether you're older, maybe you're younger, there's something about, about um, Daniel that we can identify with. I think there's something about Daniel that we can learn from. I want to actually take the time to read through Daniel chapter 9, or at least most of it. We're not uh, singing as much in the midst of virus and epidemics and pandemics and all that stuff, but most of you are a ways from me, so I can take some time to read. So I encourage you to, to, to take your book, follow along with me. We'll read Daniel chapter 9, beginning of verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent Amid, who was made king or ruler over the realm of the Chaldeans. This is the man that, that um, Cyrus the king of Persia, has put now in charge of the region of Babylon. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O oh Lord, the great and awesome God, 
who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled and turned aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servant, the prophets, and spoke in your name to our, our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all of Israel, those who are near and those who are far off, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord, our God, belong mercy and forgiveness. For we have rebelled against you and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice and the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not treated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand that have made a name for yourself at this day, as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins. And for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O Lord our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our plea before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. Oh, my God, because your city, your people are called by your name. While I was speaking, while I was praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in a vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. The following verses will, un will expand that vision, but let me pause there. Daniel, a time of much, of much uncertainty, of much upheaval, who knows what's going to happen next? What does Daniel do? We are in the midst of a time of, of certain upheaval within our society, within our culture at, 
as a whole. Things that have been brewing for a while, things that have been percolating for a while have suddenly thrust up above the surface. At the same time of a great time of weakness, of vulnerability, of uncertainty, uh, not only the viral physically, but also economically. What's going to happen? And just like Hertz rental car stock, nobody knows. What do we do in a time like this? Well, I want to take a page from Daniel. I want to suggest that we should do what Daniel does. This is a good model for life because uncertainty will continue. Chaos will certainly continue. But in the midst of life, what can I do? This is a model that has served Daniel well, not just now, but through his life. From when he was young to now that he's old, and it'll work for us as well. There's, there's, there's three things we see. First of all, Daniel knows and understands from God's word. Daniel prays. Daniel prays a prayer of lament and confession, which is very interesting, the way that he prays. I want us to notice that. And finally, Daniel trusts or hopes in God for what God is going to do. Doesn't see any sign of it yet. It's not even immediately at hand yet. In fact, he's told it's going to be a while, and yet Daniel trusts and hopes in what God has said he's going to do. And the record up till now only gives him every reason to do just that. No, pray, hope. No. First of all, in the opening verses, the first couple of verses, of he, he perceived in the books. He perceived in the books, he perceived in the scroll, he understood from these things written according to the word of the law, and specifically, Daniel has been reading in the prophet Jeremiah. And Daniel found some identification with the prophet Jeremiah because where Daniel was reading, probably in Jeremiah 25, maybe in Jeremiah 29, in both of those chapters around verses 10 to 12 of each, that's where Jeremiah specifically mentions 70 years. 70 years Israel is going to be carried away into Babylon. Isaiah is the, is the, is the prophet of last, last opportunity for Israel to return. By the time Jeremiah is in the middle of his, of his ministry, the die has been cast. The stage is set. The outcome has been determined. Israel is, or Judah, is going into captivity. Jeremiah gives his prophecy of 70 years. Around 605 B.C., the same year Daniel is among the first of the captives to leave Jerusalem, the young promising nobles, the best of the class of 605 that was headed to the University of Jerusalem is now going to the University of Babylon instead. The promising youth are, are carried away in an attempt by Babylon to ensure that their parents, their families, the rulers and nobles of Judah will follow in line with what Babylon wants because your kids are with us, your best and your brightest. And so 
Jeremiah perhaps, or Daniel is, is connected to Jeremiah's prophecy. He's, he's intrigued by it. There's a time of Israel's restoration. Is now the time? There were 70 years, and if you count the clock from 605 B.C., if you count it forward, it's now about 639. We're close. We're at about 67 years. And at 70 years, Babylon is supposed to be ended, destroyed, and then Jerusalem is going to be restored. So we're a few years early. Maybe Daniel's thinking in his mind, is it about time? Daniel has just seen the blasphemy of King Belshazzar of Babylon in Daniel chapter 5, what leads to the overthrow of Babylon. When, the, when this prideful, probably the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, when he basically spits in God's face, he takes the, the golden vessels from, that had been captured from Jerusalem's temple and he uses those for his drunken party to drink from. And God... Well, the handwriting at that point is on the wall, right? God actually writes on the wall in his palace and said, by paraphrase, you're finished. Time is up. It's not quite 70 years, and yet time is up because God who decrees also will change his mind. Trouble is coming. Judgment is coming. And yet there are things that we might do that would hasten it. There may be things that we would do that would change the course of events. What humans do in the midst of God's sovereignty matters. That's certainly something we take away here. Maybe Daniel is wondering then, then um, just as Belshazzar responded poorly and hastened God's judgment upon himself, Daniel here responds rightly and makes a difference for God's mercy. Daniel prays what he knows must be the right response because his prayer is also informed not only by Jeremiah, but his prayer is informed by Moses. God had already said through Moses and God had said through the prophets since that this is what Israel would do. God would bring them into the land and this is how they would take it. They would take it for granted. They would go their own way. They would go after other gods. They would trust in other things. And along the way, they would be cast out of the land. And when they were cast out of the land, when their hearts would turn again toward God, when they would call on his name, Solomon echoed the same thing in his prayer in the dedication of the temple. When they would call on God's name, when they would confess their sin before him and ask him again for his mercy, he would restore them because that's what God does. We sin, and when we confess, God forgives. God graciously restored. He's, he is merciful toward us. And so John writes to the church late in the first century, on into the church age, John leaves these words for you and I to grab hold of and lean on and use. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. And not only, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, so Daniel prays this way because God's word told him to pray this way. He's not just thinking, this is how, I wonder how I should respond. This is what I'll do. That's not Daniel. Daniel understands the moment from God's perspective. And that makes all the difference for Daniel, and it ends up making all the difference for us. Daniel then responds in prayer, as God's word had instructed him to do, as he has understanding, he prays, and in verse 3 it says, in fasting and sackcloth and ashes. He is in self-denial, he is in mourning. 
Jesus spoke about fasting. They, they challenged him, why don't your disciples fast the way that John the Baptist do? And he said, why, why would they fast? Why would the friends of the bridegroom fast when the bridegroom is with them? There's going to come a time for them to fast. When the bridegroom goes away, when Jesus is away, the church would fast because we would long for his coming. Things are not as they should be. Things are not the way they're supposed to be, and we would long for God's restoration. And when we long for the thing, when we long for the thing, we, we deny ourselves other things. We will, for the pursuit of something better, for the hungering of something better, we will deny ourselves things that we could have. What does a fast for Daniel look like? Well, in the next chapter, in chapter 10, Daniel does a three-week fast. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, look at the weight loss opportunities there. But can anybody fast for three weeks? Understand Daniel's fast. Daniel's fast is not one where he cuts himself off from eating completely. Daniel's fast is one where he, he, gives, he eats no delicacies, no dessert, no ice cream, no strawberry shortcake. I know it's strawberry season and they're delicious, but he cuts that off. No meat or wine. I don't know, does Daniel limit himself to veggie burgers here? Now that would be a sacrifice. But no meat, no wine, nor anointing with oil. There are other aspects of comfort that Daniel forgoes because he's in a time of mourning. He's mourning for the circumstances and situation of Israel. So he dresses as if somebody has just died in sackcloth and ashes. From dust we came to dust we will return. And that's what he's admitting in the face of his and Israel's mortality, a self-denial. He lays aside his privileges to focus better on God and God's promise. You know, there's something about laying aside that which we can. I spoke about something to that effect last week and laying aside our privileges. What will you do with your privilege? We will lay our privilege. We will lay that which we could have and use and enjoy. We'll lay that aside in the pursuit of something better. That's what Daniel does here. He, he, he prays in fasting. Daniel agrees. He prays a prayer of confession. In his prayer of confession, he confesses, first of all, who God is. You are a covenant-keeping God. You are a God of steadfast love, in verse 4. To you belong righteousness, forgiveness, and mercy, 7 and 9. Your words are confirmed as true. You can be believed, counted on. Verse 12, the Lord God is righteous in all of his works and judgment that he has done. We have not obeyed you who brought your people out of Egypt. You are a God who redeems. First of all, he focuses on who God is. He focuses as well on who they are. But he doesn't say they. Did you catch that as I was reading? It, it, it should have surprised you in Daniel chapter 9 when Daniel says all the things that we have done. Because if you've read the book of Daniel before, you would know Daniel to be a man of integrity. Daniel was a young man of integrity at the start of his University of Babylon career. When he's 16 to 18 years old, he takes a stand for what he, what he cannot do, what he cannot participate in and offers an alternative instead, and trusts God with the outcome in that situation. 
Daniel begins as a man of integrity, and you see that through his life, one step after another, culminating here. And yet Daniel identifies with his people in this prayer. Daniel doesn't say they. Daniel doesn't look out there at the chaos around him and say, yeah, they did that. As a young man, he certainly could have. As a 16, 18-year-old, as he's shipping off to Babylon, he could certainly be very embittered toward the people of his city and the people of his nation who have rejected God and gone their own way, even in the face of a, of a good king like Josiah and his reforms that were so recent in their experience, and yet to turn from it and say, we want to do what we want to do repeating the transgression of the garden. God, thanks but no thanks, I'll do it my way. And yet Daniel doesn't seem to have that attitude of I'm like this but they're like that. Daniel has an attitude of we have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly and rebelled. The voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he said before, we have not done. We have not sought the favor of the Lord our God. Daniel's a man of prayer. We know that from Daniel chapter 6. Daniel's a man of consistent prayer even when it's illegal to pray. I don't know if that means Daniel would have come to church even when we couldn't come to church, but I suspect Daniel would have been praying diligently at home. That's what Daniel chapter 6 says. And yet he says, we have not sought your face. Daniel includes himself in his own sin. Daniel's a righteous man. He's a a man of integrity, and yet Daniel, like Isaiah, sees himself as I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Daniel identifies himself with the people around him. He does not consider himself a righteous other. That's a temptation in our age, folks. We can look around at some of the chaos around us and some of the things that are obviously current in our culture but contrary to God's word, and we could see that as us and them. I want to suggest something slightly different from that. I want to suggest that we, we look at culture around us and we determine that that will teach us something about humanity. What we see around us, this is what humanity is like. And there's some of that, whatever it is that's going on, that echoes around still inside the natural you and me. And we are broken people in a broken world, or sinful people in a sinful world in desperate need of our Savior. All of us. You and I, as born-again, redeemed followers of Jesus, wanting to follow him, wanting to hear his words, thou good and faithful servant, we, as devoted as we may be, are in desperate need of our Savior. Daniel recognizes that. Look how he closes his prayer in verses, verses uh, 18 and 19. He, re- he recognizes not only, only um, who we are, what the situation is, but Daniel recognizes who the answer must come from. He, he recognizes who God is, who we are, and where the answer must come from. Verses 18 and 19 are key. His prayer is based on God's mercy, not our righteousness. 
For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because of your city and your people who are called by your name. These three, based on mercy, are the core of Daniel's prayer. Confession, need for forgiveness, and God's redemption and restoration. Those are the core of Daniel's prayer. Folks, those are the core of Israel's history. Their their sin and the need for confession, the need for forgiveness of their sins, it's built into, it's baked into Leviticus. It's baked into the very woof of their culture because this is the need of humanity. And Israel is set aside as a people to show all the world, what we are like and what God is like. Confession, forgiveness, and God's redemption and restoration. This is is Israel's history. This is God's relationship with humanity through history. This is our life with God today. It continues to be carried out in confession, in forgiveness, and in God redeeming and restoring what we cannot do for ourselves. Finally, the third move, I said we need to know and knowing, understanding, rightly understanding in the midst of a world gone wild, rightly understanding comes from God's word, comes from God's truth. We then need to pray. And we pray in a particular way. We pray not merely concerning others and not merely concerning our own needs, but Daniel prays for a rebellious people around him. I have to confess, I've not done a lot of that as I've watched the news curiously, wondering what's going to happen. I've not, I've not prayed for looters. I've not prayed for rioters. I've not prayed for those who have even mocked faith in Christ in the midst of this moment. I've not prayed for them. And I think Daniel would have. And Daniel trusts in what God has done and will do about how things are. We are very riled up and much is done to stir us up about what we must do about how things are. But the only one that can truly change how things are is God himself. We can trust in God because first of all, God answers prayer. Did you catch that in verse 20? Two times, 20 and 21, both start out with the same word. While I was speaking, God is faithful. God turns. God comes. You know, the the thing that gets me in all of this, and we wrestle with this about prayer, is, well, if God is sovereign and God knows and God sees, then, then why would I pray? Because God will do what God is going to do. And yet... Belshazzar, Daniel chapter 5, ends two, maybe three years early because of what Belshazzar does. And Daniel is ready to pray urgently two or three years before the 70 years are full. Because maybe God, even as he has judged early, maybe God will restore early. And so... God will do what he said he's going to do, and yet, God 
God stoops to hear us. And God works in response to the requests of his children. God answers prayer. While I was speaking, while I was still praying, Isaiah 65 verse 24 says, Therefore, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. And here it is. God is not slow. God is perfect. Verses 22 and 23, God intends for us to understand what he promises. God expects for us to understand. God wants you to understand and have confidence in his redemption, his restoration, his salvation, his intended outcome. He wants us to understand that. God gives understanding of big picture and on small details. He wants us to know. He gives understanding of his word to us because, as verse 23 says, you are greatly loved. Did you catch that in verse 23? Your pleas of mercy, a word went out, and I've come to tell to you. Why did I come to tell to you? Why did God send me so urgently this same Gabriel who would be the messenger to Mary, who would be the messenger to Joseph? This same Gabriel is the one who comes to Daniel. God urgently sends him. He wants him to understand because you are greatly loved. You can trust that this morning. That in the midst of whatever, your father loves you. He's told you. So he's given us this book so that we would know that he loves us that he loves you. You can hold on to this book and you can confidently say, God loves me. He has my best. He has my back. Because this book says that he does. And Daniel can trust that God will change things. God will act. God, in fact, will go exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ask or even imagine. Daniel is asking for Israel to be restored to the land. Could we get back and could we have another go at collectively keeping this covenant which you gave us? God says, Daniel, I'm going to do better than that. I'm going to do better than that. Look what I'm going to do. In 70 weeks of years, in a course of 490 years, are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish, to bring to an end the transgression. And I put that transgression as what the transgression that begins in the Garden of Eden, the transgression that continues through Israel's history, the transgression that so easily pops up within our lives as well. All of us started with it. We inherited it in our family line all the way back to Adam. I'll do it my way instead of God's way. I want to determine what's right for me. Each one does what's right in his own eyes. God is going to finish Bring to an end the transgression. God is going to put an end to sin. Do you long for that day? Do you long for that day when you will not be pressed and burdened, discouraged, cheated, mistreated because of sin that is rampant? Do you long for that day? I do. But you know, I long for it in the midst of my own failures too. 
And that would be a problem if it wasn't for the next phrase, that God is also going to atone for iniquity. He's going to cover our sins. The day of atonement will reach its ultimate fulfillment. He's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. Are you young and idealistic? Do you long for things to be? Do you want to press into making things to be the way that they ought to be? Maybe you're old and idealistic. I was talking to somebody just this week, the kind of, the kind of guy that, that has a tender heart and is just not willing to give up on somebody. He's got more, more, more long-suffering and patience and hope, personally, for someone than I do. Longs to see everlasting righteousness, and God will do it. Things will be as there ought to be. Idealism isn't for the, isn't for the young only, and, and the expectation, the hope that God will do it is not for the young and somewhat inexperienced in life. Can you be old and idealistic? Can you be old and hopeful rather than old and jaded? God will bring in everlasting righteousness. God will seal or fulfill the visions and prophecies. And God will anoint, the ESV says, the most holy place. Or it can also read, the Hebrew can read either a place or a person. God will anoint the most holy. I take it as the Messiah. God will anoint his Messiah. And Jesus shall reign wherever the sun doth his successive journeys run. That's the day that's coming. That's the day that we long for. We don't live in that day yet, but we hope toward it. So, in the midst of all that, God will fulfill. God will do. And I can trust that then. What can I do in times like this? What do I do in the meantime? What do I do today? What do I do this week? Understand. 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 Know and understand in the midst of a postmodern age that says you can't really know anything, so we're going to try to convince you of something new, seemingly month by month or year by year. But faith says that you can know, you can be assured of and certain of this is how it is because this is what God has said. You can know, you can understand. Give yourself to God's Word, read, study, Say, Lord, help me to understand. Read with prayer saying, Lord, would you open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your word. God, what is there here for me today? And God will give. Before, while I was speaking, he will answer. Before they call, I will give an answer. God will illumine the, the eyes of our understanding so that we may see. Give yourself to God's word. I love Psalm 2. Psalm 2, anytime I see something crazy going on, Psalm 2 explains it for me. Why the nations rage against the Lord and against his anointed? Cast off their yokes from us. Psalm 2 explains it to me. It ends with the king. And it ends with the king's invitation to mercy. Psalm 2 explains a lot to me. Currently, we, we live in an age of, of division, tribalism, each one doing what's right in their own eyes. It, it's very different from our country in the past. Our country was founded on a, a heritage of shared faith. I say shared faith in quotes because was it real or not with various individuals? Hard to say, but the assumptions of the culture at large shared a framework of faith. 
Well, that has been deliberately removed out of the center of the culture. The problem is, nothing has replaced it as a shared center of faith. There are attempts, and those attempts will continue, but right now there is no shared center, and that's why the polarity that there is. That's why things are exploding in all kinds of directions the way there is, because we have no shared center, and yet the church does. Christians do, and we must. What we can contribute more than anything else in this moment in our society is a solid understanding of our center and what is true and what can be counted on and what the future will be, no matter who describes it differently. That God's word speaks to us in terms macro and micro. Genesis 3 tells me something about all of humanity, how humanity fell. And also it tells me that I want to decide what's right for me. Romans chapter 7, where Paul gives a little bit of his own autobiography, his own story. It tells me something about the struggle that Paul had with his own fallen humanity, but it also tells me something about my own desperate confession. Who will deliver me from easily besetting sin? You see, what is written here about Israel, you're going to find is somewhat true about you and I. And that's why it's profitable for us to understand from this book. John 3.16 tells of God's love and salvation for all the world. Macro. But John 3.16 is also micro, isn't it? Can't you take John 3.16 and say, I know this. No matter how much it seems that nobody else does, I know this. God so loves me that he gave his son for me. Understand what is true from God's word, not the multitude of other competing, compelling voices. Pray. It's important, especially in a crisis and chaotic times, that we stop and pray before we say and do. You are going to be urged to join in all kinds of things, and you don't even know what you're joining. You don't even know who you're supporting. You don't know what's behind it. You don't know what's going to come out next week that all of a sudden puts a whole different spin on what you were right in the middle of this week. It's important that we pray, that we stop and pray before we say or do. We don't know the difference our words are going to make to somebody. We don't know how we, you don't even know how what you say will be heard by somebody in such a loaded environment. That doesn't mean we don't say anything anymore. We're intimidated, aren't we? I don't want to hurt somebody. I don't want to offend somebody. And I certainly don't want somebody to blow up in my face. And so I'm, I'm cautious about saying anything because I'm not sure what's the right thing to say anymore. And yet, we can say and we must say because we have God's truth, but it must not be handed carelessly or callously. So if we're going to speak, Daniel's a prophet. He's supposed to be good at speaking. Daniel, Daniel's really good at praying. I learned something from that. My concerns are typically more about what others are doing, but Daniel's prayer concerns himself. Daniel's prayer. I, I wrote something down here for, for my own sake. Don't let prayer be about you or not about you. Don't let prayer be just about Bob, and don't be, let prayer be not about Bob. You, you get what I'm saying there? Easily our prayer relates to how things affect us and what we're asking God to do in relation to our benefit and our advantage. 
Daniel is burdened for his people and he's burdened for a city. He's burdened for God's, the testimony of who God is in relation to God's people and God's city. Don't let prayer be all about you. And do not let your prayer be not about you. Don't pray in terms of the others. Because what we see in the others, we also see in us. So don't let prayer be all about you. Do not let prayer be not about you. Understand, pray, understand from God's words, pray and trust in God's continuing sovereignty to end injustice, to bring peace and reconciliation where it is not. Even as Paul and John stayed in the end of their writings, come, Lord Jesus. Yes, and that is exactly what God intends to do. The culmination of the age will be in his anointed of his holy one. As he says back in Psalm 2, I have set my king on my holy hill. It's going to be that way. We pray, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. And yet we don't just wash our hands of the situation at hand and we just wait and say, God, let your kingdom come. Until then, we'll wait in here. No. Because we are in the midst of an already but not yet kingdom. Jesus does not yet reign on the earth, and yet his kingdom advances one person at a time. As one heart yields to the grace of salvation by faith in Jesus. And that life is changed. And that life comes under the sovereign rule of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And another one says, Lord, I will follow you. And so as we pray, let your kingdom come. The gospel of faith is how we will advance that kingdom one person at a time. And yet, Romans 12 gives a different goal than change the world. Oh, there's much in the world that needs changing. But Romans 12 is a different goal. I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. And don't be conformed to this world, but be you, transformed by the renewing of your mind, understanding according to God's word, so that you may prove, live out, demonstrate before all the world what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, God's first desire for you is not to go out and change the world. Oh, the early church did. They said, it was said of them, they turned the world upside down. But what is Paul's instruction for them? Right in the middle of Rome, right in the center where they could have the most influence of all? Paul's urging of them is to you be changed. We leave here this morning. God's intention for us is not to go change the world. God's intention for us is to let him change us. And that'll have an impact in the world. It did before, it will now. Daniel is over 80, and yet Daniel hands off to others the hope of the Lord's coming and the promise of God's restoration. Do you know that these, these 70 weeks of Daniel here in Daniel chapter 9 are the backbone of prophetic understanding of the end of the age. 
This is how we understand the book of Revelation. This is where we understand the timing. This is where we understand what Palm Sunday was all about. This is how we understand where, where his, his death and his resurrection and his ascension from the Mount of Olives and his coming again to the Mount of Olives. All of that, the framework for that is tucked away here in Daniel. Daniel's 80 years old. What's he got left to do? except to be the one through whom God uses to hand off to all of us the greatest nutshell, the greatest compacted, pressed-in outlining of our ultimate hope. The end of transgression and sin, the bringing in of eternal righteousness, the atoning of iniquity, the forgiveness of our guilt, and the anointing of God's holy King. Jesus. All of that is here. And we have it just because God loved Daniel. And so he sent somebody from heaven to tell him that. And Daniel wrote it down. And God preserved that and sent others to carry and send it and bring it to you. To you. Why? Because God loves you and wants you to know you and I, maybe we're old like Daniel. Are we looking back or are we looking ahead? Maybe we're young and idealistic. Are you known for what you do? Or are you known for what God does? Do people know you as somebody that talks about what God does? That's thrilled about what God does or jazzed about what you do? You and I, as Peter describes, I'll end with this. You and I need to be ready like Daniel. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us. In a time like this, it's easy to be in frustration or despair. But God calls us to be in hope because he has this. And so we're going to understand it from his perspective. We're going to pray concerning ourselves. And we're going to trust him and the hope that he's given us. Would you pray with me? Father, we do confess. Lord, we confess that we ourselves are not worthy of your rescue, your redemption. We do not ask, Lord, for your grace and your help in the midst of our circumstances because we deserve it, because we've been good enough, because we have followed the rules. So, Lord, wouldn't you help us out here? Lord, we, we come to you in prayer asking you to act on our behalf, asking you to give strength in our weakness, asking you to give courage in the midst of our, our timidity and, and fearfulness. Lord, we ask you to give us love for others in the midst of our own selfishness, not because we deserve it, but because we don't and because we desperately need for you to act on our behalf. We need your restoration. We long for your ultimate restoration that you have promised in your word. And Lord, we want to be a foretaste of that to people around us. Lord, we want to be people who know you and what you've said so that we can give your hope to people around us. Lord, we do long for your kingdom to come. We do want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And Lord, we want that to start in our own lives. We pray that it is not always. We confess that it is not always. And so we pray, Lord, also for your mercy. So, Father, out of your word, fill us with your hope that we'd be different to people around us. In Jesus' name, amen.